Well, good morning. If you're wondering who I am, my name is Carter Brown. I'm the director of student ministries. I'm not Tom Hendricks. And so this morning, I have the privilege of keeping you here for multiple hours. We're going to be looking at John 6, which is 71 verses long. So if you had lunch plans, text them right now. Make sure your phone's on silent. Two o'clock, you'll be out. The second service will just kind of come in. We'll put seats in the back. I'm not kidding. Oh, I am? Okay. We're not doing that. But anyways, this morning we're going to be looking at John 6, and this is, I'm going to be very nostalgic for some of you. Some of you, it may be new, but I think most of us in this room have heard this story before, whether we've studied it or whether we've had it in Sunday school or we saw a picture of it in one of those little Bibles for kids where Jesus has the bread and a big smile on his face, or whether we've just heard it in passing or whether someone used it as skepticism towards Christianity. And it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then Jesus walking on water, right? And so this morning, we're going to be looking at that passage and going through it. We're actually going to be going through the majority of the text because it kind of stands together. But I hope this morning we will see something that maybe we didn't see before, that Jesus isn't just doing, as Matt said earlier, some miracle to prove how great and powerful he is. Though he proves that, that's not the purpose. He's not just feeding the 5,000 so that everyone around him thinks he's so great. He's not just walking on water so that everyone thinks that he's so powerful and that he's the son of God. That is, in fact, one of the reasons he's proving that he is God on earth. But there's so much more to it. And we so easily, I know I do, run across these stories as just good stories, And we miss what he's saying. And so this morning, we're going to need a lot of grace and a lot of humility to kind of be able to not blame the people in the text, but actually associate ourselves with them and see how we are so much like them, how we're so quick to justify our own religious actions and our own behavior, and we're so content to remain the way that we are. And Jesus is going to be calling that out of us this morning. And so before we jump into John 6, let me pray for us. Lord, right now in this place, we pray that your spirit would move, that it would fill our hearts and our minds, it would engage our minds to your text, that we would hear your words to us. Lord, that you would pour grace upon us, fill us with humility, that we may understand more about Jesus as the bread of life, and that we may run to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John 6, this is following up after John 5, if you've been with us over the series that Tom has started on John. Last, two weeks ago, Tom was talking about John 5, and it's a story of where Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he goes to this area called Bethesda, and there's these pools there, and there's these lame people that are laying around the pools, and Jesus goes up to one of them, and he heals them. It's this miraculous thing, this guy's been paralyzed, and he heals them. And then Jesus goes and he talks to the Jews and he talks about how he is in fact the son of God and he has authority. And then Jesus leaves Jerusalem. And as he leaves Jerusalem, he heads to an area called the Sea of Galilee, this beautiful region with this big lake, mountains coming out of the sides of it. And he goes to this area and there's towns all around it. And as Jesus goes, these crowds follow him. Jesus, in a sense, is bigger than Bieber. He's bigger than Justin Bieber. I'm telling you, People, if they had Twitter, Jesus was the number one hashtag at the time. Meet me at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is there. He's going to do something cool. And so everyone is following Jesus. They follow him to Sea of Galilee, and these crowds are gathering. Jesus is with his disciples. 
and he's presumably probably at the shore, and he walks up the mountain because it kind of elevates out of the water. He walks up the mountain and he sits down, and his disciples are around him, and these crowds start pouring in, just pouring in below him. And Jesus looks at one of his disciples named Philip, and Philip uh, is asked a question, and Jesus knows the answer, but he wants to test Philip, and he says, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Because by this point, it's coming to be about 5,000 people, which is like a Calvary Chapel service, if you've been there. Imagine trying to feed all those people. 5,000 people pouring in. Jesus looks over and says, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip's like, um, Jesus, we're not going to be able to. It would, it would cost 200 denarii for, to feed everyone just a little bite, which is eight months wages to feed just a little bite. So he's like, Jesus, we got no money. We're kind of walking around. You're wanting us to feed all these people. We don't nearly have enough to even feed anybody more than a bite. I don't know what you want from me. Why are you asking me, by the way? And then Andrew comes up, and I can't tell what kind of character Andrew is. He could be that sarcastic friend. You know, you, everyone has this sarcastic friend, right? Where you're like stressed out, and you're struggling. You're trying to figure out a solution. He kind of comes in like with this like sarcastic comment, and you just want to like punch him in the face. Do you have that friend? I do. But Andrew comes in and he goes, hey, Jesus, there's this little boy over here. He's got like five pieces of bread and two fish. I don't know what we're going to do with it. He's right there. I, maybe he's Captain Obvious. Do you have that guy, right? Captain Obvious, where he just like states the most obvious thing in the world. And you're like, we know that. Andrew, go sit in the back of the line. We know there's a boy over there, five pieces of bread and two fish. There's 5,000 people here. What are we going to do with it? And so Andrew makes his comment, and then Jesus goes to the boy. You've probably heard this. He takes the five pieces of bread and the two fish, and maybe it's probably in a basket or something. And then Jesus starts going throughout the crowd, and he starts passing out bread and fish to everybody that's sitting there, 5,000 people. And the disciples are watching this. The crowd is seeing what's happening, and Jesus feeds everybody. Everyone eats, but not just a little bit. It says that everybody eats till they've had their fill. So they eat like a Thanksgiving feast. As much as they want, anyone that wants more bread, more fish, they will get it. Jesus will give them whatever they want. And he takes the five bread and the two fish and he feeds over 5,000 people till they're all so full that there's leftovers. So you got to imagine the crowd and the people are sitting there and they're like, what is this guy doing? He's just feeding us so much food. This would have been like years wages to feed this amount of food. He fed it with five pieces of bread and two fish. And now there's leftovers. And Jesus looks at disciples and he goes, guys, we're not going to leave anything left over. So go take some baskets, walk throughout the crowd and pick up whatever's left over and bring it back. We don't want to waste anything. And so they go and you can imagine they're all going. They're picking up the bread that's left over. Are you done with that? Okay. He puts it in and the fish. They come back to Jesus, and you can imagine them walking through the crowd as they're coming back to Jesus, and they have a basket full, and then they look at their friend, and he has a basket that's full, and then another one, and they go down the line, and they realize there's 12 baskets here, and they're all full. And these are Jews, right? And the number 12 is a significant number for them, and so they're probably, their, their mind is probably racing so much in this moment, because first off, they're probably recalling Moses in the wilderness when, when he prays and God brings bread down from heaven, right? And feeds the Israelites bread every day. And then 
all the bread that's left over, it equals 12 baskets. And the crowd is thinking what's going on, and the disciples are thinking what is happening right now. And they're looking at this, and they're seeing the significance of 12, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel, which represents, in a sense, the entirety of God's people. And so Jesus is making the statement here that he will feed his people till they're full. And the disciples are probably in shock. They're like, we signed on with the right guy. This is awesome. And the crowd is automatically thinking, this guy must be a prophet. Something is up with this guy. He's not just a magic man. The thing that happened in Jerusalem was not just something that we heard about. This guy's the real deal. He's a prophet. He's from God. And immediately what they begin to think is this is the guy we need to make king. So they're thinking, right? They have the Romans oppressing them, living in their land, taxing them, telling them what they can and cannot do. They're fed up with the Romans. They're tired of it. They want their land back. God promised them this land. This is their land. And they think, he's here. The prophet's here. We're going to make him king. We're going to go back to Jerusalem. We're going to gather up everyone that we can, and everyone's going to jump on board. We're going to go in front of the Roman government. We're going to say, we're done with this. Get out of our land. And guess what? We have our king. Try to mess with them and see what he's going to do to you. And Jesus, it says, he sees that this is stirring in their hearts and their minds. They want to force him to become king. So Jesus leaves. Could you imagine, just put yourself in their, in their situation for a second. Could you imagine how insensitive they would view Jesus, right? A prophet from God, they assume, doing miraculous things for God's people, making this statement that he gives God's people till they are full, and they are thinking that they want to make him king, and this guy, Jesus, just leaves. There's no way he could be our Messiah. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't, God cares that we are under the Roman government and we are taxed by them and they are living on our land and this is God's land, not theirs. And they put us through all types of oppression. And if God were to send a Messiah, he would come and he would care about us and he would restore victory to Israel. And Jesus just leaves. And the disciples leave and they go on the boat and they're crossing the sea and they're going to Capernaum. And halfway through the story, as they're going across the water, Jesus is not with them. And then Jesus starts walking on the water. The disciples become afraid, and Jesus calms them down, and they make it to the other side. And the crowds aren't done with Jesus. So they follow where the disciples were going, and they meet in Capernaum. And when they get to Capernaum, Jesus is there as well. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 25. Here's what it says. When they found him, it's the crowds, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So they realized that Jesus didn't leave with the disciples, and they're thinking, Jesus, how'd you get over here? Because you weren't with us, you weren't with them, it's a long way across the sea. So they're picking up on something happened, but they don't know exactly what happened. But they say, well, forget it, we just want to make this guy king, let's figure it out. So Jesus answers in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you had your fill with the loaves. I'm going to read that again. They come and they say, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill 
of the loaves. So Jesus kind of cuts right to the core. You, know, you see this all the time with Jesus. He doesn't play games, right? They come to him and they say, Jesus, how'd you get here? And Jesus immediately doesn't even answer the question. He just says, do you know why you're here? You're not here because you saw me do something miraculous. And now you're interested in me. You're wondering who I am. It's not why you're here. You're here because I gave you food and a lot of it. And you want more of what I can give you. This physical gift, you want more of it. That's why you followed me. And they're probably sitting there like, oh, Jesus, calm down there. I'm just, you know, yes, we want some more of that bread, but we want to make you king too. I don't know if you know that. We're about to try to do that. And Jesus cuts right to the core of their motivation. Why are they seeking after Jesus? Because they want him to give them stuff. Victory, success, bread, physical gifts. They're totally missing why Jesus just did the miracle. They're thinking that Jesus is there to provide for them physical things that will make their life better, more comfortable, more satisfying. That's what they want. They want to make him king. And Jesus cuts right to that. And so they respond to this statement. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so Jesus says, listen, don't labor for that stuff. I know why you're here. I know why you came to me. You want me to give you things. You want me to make your life better to fix the situation that you're in. Do not come to me for that reason, because the things of this world, they spoil but come after the bread that endures to eternal life, which I, the Son of Man, will give to you. And so they're interested in this. This is cool with them. And so they respond. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they, they hear Jesus give them this proposition. He cuts right to the core. They're convicted a little bit probably. And they say, okay, Jesus, you're promising some bread that's eternal. This is better than bread that spoils. We get it. We want that. Give that to us. What do we need to do to get it? You're going to give us some bread of eternal life that won't spoil. Tell us how we can earn it. What do you want from us, Jesus? You're going to be our king. So we as servants will do what you want because you're going to give us something great, eternal bread that doesn't spoil. Wow. What do we do? And this is probably my favorite verse in the entire chapter. Jesus answers them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they're asking Jesus, what does Jesus want them to do? To earn this eternal bread, to earn this gift that God is going to give them. And Jesus responds, he goes, you don't get it. The gift of God, the, the work of God is that you believe in me who he sent. It's not that you do anything. I'm not asking you to do anything. You're missing the whole point. You're focusing so much on mankind and on physical things that you're missing why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because God's work is for you to believe in me. It's not an action. It's a reaction. God doesn't call us to do things for him. He calls us to react to what he's already done. To respond in faith. And they're missing this. 
And if you're like me, this is so easy for us to fall into, right? We live in a world where every good thing, at least almost every good thing, comes by your action. Success comes when you act a certain way. When you do things, it brings success to you. Marriage. You have the opportunity to marry someone lovely when you pursue them and act a certain way. You don't just walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, listen, want to get married? And they're like, yeah, it doesn't happen. Friendship develops through action. A pastor, right? I want to get ordained as a pastor one day. I got to go through like a million years of seminary. I've got to take a thousand tests. And then after I pass all of this and they think I'm good enough, then they say, you have done the right actions. Now you are ordained a pastor. The same is in business, medicine, whatever you're doing. You have to do things to receive the reward, right? And we bring this into Christianity. We're so skeptical. You get the little free thing, right? That says free French fry at McDonald's and you're scanning the card. You're pulling out your glasses and you're trying to read like, is there invisible ink in here that says I have to buy 15 combo meals before I can get the free fries? Because there's no way there's going to give me free fries. And you're scanning it. And then when you don't find it, you're like, this is probably fake. It's probably not even real. Because we don't understand, we have such a hard time grasping that something can just be completely free where we don't have to do anything. And that's what Jesus is telling them. And this, we, we bring this into our Christianity, right? God, we love your gospel. We love your grace. We know that you've forgiven us. You've given us the free gift of eternal life and we believe in it. We want the eternal bread. Now, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to be? How do you want us to act? I need to go to church every Sunday? Okay, I'll do that. I need to be in a community group? Okay, I'll do that. I need to serve the homeless once a month? Okay, I'll do that. I need to go on a mission trip once a year? Okay, I'll do that. And I'm not saying those things are bad, right? We as Christians are transformed by God's love to desire those things. But the question is, what's our motivation? Why are we here this morning? Are we here because of religious duty? Are we here because we love God? And that's what Jesus is getting at, is that we focus so much on physical things, on man and the things that can come here that we miss that the gospel is the good news that Jesus has done it for us. That the work that God requires has already been done. And they're struggling with this, just like we do. So they say to him, In verse 30, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Because our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they're saying, okay, we're we're kind of tracking with you, Jesus. But listen, what are you going to do to show us that this is actually true? And we got to stop for a second and not kind of cast judgment upon them. Because at least they see belief as something very, very important. They're not going to just believe on a whim. They're not going to just be swayed by emotion. They understand that belief and faith is not just socially conditioned. It's not just the culture you were brought up in. If they're going to change their belief, if they're going to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah that brings eternal bread from heaven, that they don't have to do anything for, which is totally contrary to the religion that they are upholding and the life that's, lifestyle they live, They want to see Jesus do something, 
which is interesting because they just saw him feed 5,000 people, including them, right? They want to see something great. They want to see God prove it to them. Show us something physical, right? That will make us believe in you. They want God to prove his worth to them. And and Jesus isn't in a popularity contest here. And so he's not going to do anything. But he's going to talk with them. He's going to speak to them truth. And he says to them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And and so he he realizes what's happening, what's been happening this entire time, is they're so focused on man, on physical things, right? He says, listen, guys, it wasn't Moses that brought the bread down. It was God that brought the bread down. Don't you get that? You don't need to worship and focus on the physical things. It's God that does all of this. And they they respond, they say, okay, give this to us. We want that. I mean, I don't know if you're, you're like me. Maybe you are. But I look at my life and I realize how often I focus on things that are physical. It's really sad. Look at the language that we use, right? I believe, our mission trip. I serve the homeless. I'm growing as a person. I'm becoming more Christ-like. And not to say that there's not action involved, but who is the focus on? Who are we looking at and praising so often for these things? Our prayer life, right? This is convicting. Look at your prayer life. What is the percentage of time that you spend praying for yourself and for other people compared to the amount of time that you spend praising God for who he is? If you're like me, it's like at least 80-20. Even when we talk to God, we want him to do things for us. And sometimes they're really good things. And God wants us to bring those to him. He wants us to bring our cares and our needs and our pain and our struggle to him. But we're so disproportionate. We care about ourselves and our friends more than we care about God. And Jesus says, enough with that. I want you to understand who God is and why he's worthy of praise and why I did what I just did in feeding all of you. And so he spells it out very clear and he says this. Jesus said to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of my Father who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus just gives five verses of just straight gospel text. That I am the bread of life, and if you're hungry, if you have a need, a desire, If you want eternal bread, something that won't spoil, that won't perish, that will endure even past death, come to me and I will fill you till you are full. 
just like I did when I fed 5,000 of you. I will do that to your soul. But what you have to understand is I'm not asking for you to do anything. I don't even need you to do anything, nor can you do anything to even warrant a piece of it. I will do it all. Just as I walked around and passed you all the bread and you did nothing to multiply it, I'm going to do the same thing here. That if you believe in me, Jesus, who God has sent, who does the will of my Father, I will raise you up on the last day. And you will be with me. That's what he says to them. That's the gospel. That God does not require anything from us, but only a reaction from us. That Jesus is not only our end, but he's our means. That he is our reward, and he is the one that gives us the reward at the same time. And Jesus is calling us out of our concern with ourselves and physical things and our desire to fit God into this box that we want him to be our king and we want him to do this, 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 and this. And if he doesn't do that, then we're going to totally really doubt the whole thing because God should be doing what we want him to do. And when he doesn't, you're going to have to prove it to me, God. You're going to have to show me that I should really kind of stick with this because to be honest, I want the bread that spoils more than I want the eternal bread. And Jesus cuts right to my core and hopefully to yours as well. And he ends with something that I think threw a lot of people for a loop. And a lot of people said, that's it. This guy's totally crazy. We're out of here. In verse 48, here's what Jesus says. He's ending the discussion. And he says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. So they ran after the bread that spoils the things of the world. They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have no life in you. So they're like, this guy's weird. What, is he going to start cutting his arms off? What's happening? He's telling us to eat His flesh and drink His blood. This is getting real weird right now. We're out of here. And as Matt said earlier, many of the disciples were like, this guy's crazy. We're out. And we obviously know that Jesus was not saying, I want you to physically eat my body and drink my blood. He's using metaphorical and sacramental language, right? The same way that I would say that I devoured the Hunger Games. I didn't actually eat the book. If I ate the book, you probably wouldn't want to listen to me right now. You're like, that guy eats books. He's weird. Don't let him on the stage. But I consumed it. I was so enamored by it. I was so in love with it that all I wanted to do every night was sit down and read it and see what took place next. And Jesus is saying the same exact thing to us, that those that find eternal bread, those that are raised up on the last day, those that are satisfied and filled every hunger, every desire that you have are those that consume Jesus. That all they want to do 
is read about him and know about him and keep turning the pages to see what he's going to do next. Not what they're going to do next. Now, I don't read books and then go try to act it out in my own life. I read the books to see what's going to happen in the story. And the same is true here. That Jesus is asking us to stop focusing on ourselves, to stop being so content with the way that we are and the way that we live and how easily we're manipulated. If you're like me, you look at yourself and you realize you're lazy and you're selfish and you're missional-minded when you want to be and you're manipulated by the media and you're idol-worshipping and you love money and you want success, right? We all are like that. And Jesus is saying, stop being like that. You're focusing so much on the physical things. You need to understand something. The gospel is not that you need to do anything for God. But God did it all for you. He doesn't want an action from you. He wants a reaction. And when you get that, when you consume Jesus and you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you take in him. He fills you where you're hungry, till you're full. And he promised you a guarantee that you will be with him for eternity. You don't have to fear anything that comes. And here's the cool thing. What happens is you begin to come to church, to get involved in community groups, to serve your city, to love other people, to go all over the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because you feel like God's going to love you more if you do, Not because you want God to be happy with you and think you're a good Christian or because you want to make sure that God doesn't take that gift from you. You do it just because you're so enamored with God's love. It's the only response. His sacrifice, the fact that the work of God is that you would believe in Jesus and that's it, is so powerful and so countercultural and so transformative that it changes everything about your life. It makes everything different. And that's Jesus' call to us this morning. It's for us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves that question, who do I worship? Myself? What God will give me? Maybe even my good actions that I think will make God happy? Or is it just solely Jesus? What motivates me to live the way I live, to be here this morning? Is it love for God and His faithfulness? His work for me, or is it because I think I need to do things for God? Because Jesus cuts right to that, and he says, listen guys, I'm the bread of life. Come to me and you will be full. You can't fill yourself. Only I can do that. And that's our challenge, and that's God's prayer this morning, that he would give us the grace and humility to do that and to see that happen in our lives.